0: Welcome to the Keep It Local Maine podcast, where we interview local business owners and Maine residents to learn more about what they do, who and what inspires them, and how they use experiences to steer them into the future.
1: My name is Kimberly Regalinski.
0: And I'm Todd Regalinski.
1: And we are the publishers of Keep It Local Maine, a local magazine that helps showcase local businesses to the people in and around their communities. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly podcast that you can subscribe to on Podbeam, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You can learn more about us at keepitlocalmain.com and you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, and through the links in the show notes. In this episode, we are so excited to be talking with musician Zach Jones.
0: Zach Jones is a Portland, Maine-based musician, having spent many years as lead guitarist uh, slash backing vocalist for the popular rock band As Fast As. In March of 2010, uh, Jones released his first solo album, Fading Flowers, followed by Broken Record in 2011, Things Were Better in 2012, The Days in 2013, and Love What You Love in 2014. In 2019 and 20, he has released a series of singles and EPs, the most recent of which is Must Be On My Way and I'll Be Taking Care of You. He's also the co-host of Spencer & Zach Explore the Universe, a podcast he records with fellow main musician Spencer Albee. Welcome to the show, Zach. Yes, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely, we're glad you're here.
0: It's wonderful to be here. Here is in a remote-ish <laughs> That's right, way. But- here in the same spot that I was when I woke up this morning. <laughs> ah, the wonders of these days. Uh, so could you just uh, kind of... I'm always curious about what people's uh, kind of musical upbringing is like. So could you kind of tell us, like, how did you get started in music and who were some of your early influences? Sure. So my
2: earliest influence who is still one of my biggest influences uh was Michael Jackson pretty much the the thriller album we had two copies of it in my household a copy on vinyl and a copy on cassette and of course cassette was the newer technology at the time so my older brother and I would fight over who got the cassette and (laughs) uh then my parents made a dub of the cassette so we had the original copy and the dub and then we'd fight over who got the original and who got the dub (laughs) Um, but so yeah my my cousin uh tells me of a, a memory that she has of me you know barely walking and speaking uh singing all of the words to beat it <laughs> i don't remember that but i believe it <laughs> but so that was like i think the, the earliest you know falling in love with music even though i wasn't like fully cognizant of it at the time um and then uh you know getting we're getting older newer technology i remember getting a walkman and uh getting the best of the beach boys and listening to that nice. all the time but still, it wasn't until uh, I was probably 12 or 13 when I got into the Beatles, and that really changed everything. It was um, basically there was like that window of time between when I was five and 12 where there was no uh, record player in the house. And then we got one of those like multi, you know, multi-component, <laughs> like all-in-one things that had a record player on the top. Mm-hmm. And so I started digging through my parents' records and I found Sergeant Pepper's only Hearts Club Band, and it just blew my mind I was like mm-hmm. I, I want to play guitar I want to write songs I want to be able to sing like this I want to learn how how it's possible to do something that is like this um, so that changed everything I uh, my mom had a piano and a guitar in the house because she played a little bit of both and so I pulled her guitar out of the case and was just like show me and so she taught me you know the four or five chords that she knew that she plays all her folk songs with <laughs> and I uh, kind of just took it and ran from there And I'd always like, you know, we used to have our piano in the living room right in front of the front door. So I always used to, even before I knew anything about music, every time I'd walk by the piano, I'd sit down and just pick out melodies on it and stuff. But uh, as soon as I started actually learning music, all of a sudden it was just, you know, this whole world opened up to me where I was like, oh, I get it. I understand how all of these things are coming together now. And, uh, or not that I understand all of it, still learning, obviously, but just the passion for it and the You know, ability to figure out why a C chord is a C chord on the piano and also on the guitar and also on whatever, you know, whatever other instrument you happen to be working with. And yeah, that's kind of been it, just constantly trying to unlock musical secrets.
1: That's awesome.
0: Nice. Have you had any like formal lessons or anything like that? Any music, like theory training? I have. Um,
2: So yeah, when I first started playing, it was uh, guitar was the first instrument that I like took seriously. And uh, as I said, my mom taught me what she knew. And then from there, I mean, I started getting like songbooks that would have those little chord charts in it. So if I, you know, got to something I didn't know, it was right there. And then in high school, I took, uh, I had, there was a voice teacher that came once a week. Um, So I took voice lessons for a year or two in high school. We also had music theory courses in high school. So I took, yeah, ear training and music theory in high school as well as the voice teacher that came. And then I also took piano lessons for a year while I was in high school. And then I took a year off between high school and my brief stint at college. Uh, but I ended up doing uh, a year at Berkeley College of Music uh, before oh, wow. I dropped out to mm-hmm. just play rock and roll. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> Nice
0: it's kind of the best of both worlds you get the you get a little berkeley cred and then you get your rock cred so mm-hmm. yeah it, it, it's nice.
2: there's like i think berkeley is the only school that people look at you like more positively if you say
0: that you dropped out <laughs> <So>. <laughs> i was gonna say it's, it's kind of like a rite of passage in some ways like they yeah. i'm sure like they have here's our graduates and here's our dropouts
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah because yeah, there, there's like this feeling of uh, if you dropped out of Berkeley to go play music, you probably got scooped up because you were good and, you know, people wanted you to just get right to work. Yeah. Um, nice. I mean, I'm sure there are a fair amount of people that just drop out cause they're like, this is expensive and I don't like it. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but there are a lot of people that graduate and do great as well. I don't want to short, short sell the, the value of a good education.
1: Yeah. Yes. So let me ask you this. What, what was the writing and recording process for your latest EP?
2: Um, so, everything i do these days is an exercise of trimming budget mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just you know it's uh it's getting harder and harder to to turn music into a product that <laughs> that generates money yeah um yeah. so the less i can spend while i'm making it then the you know the, the better that evens out on the other end but obviously i still want it to sound good and uh, all that stuff so my my latest handful of releases have all been home recorded with me playing uh everything that i can i've been using um some drum programming stuff like GarageBand. actually has a great feature called drummer where it's all Mm. actual uh drum samples of actual you know real drums being played in the room and all that Uh, but of course you can time adjust it you can you know get your kick pattern right where you want it and put your feels right where you want it and adjust all that stuff and adjust the feel um so i've actually gotten really really good at getting a very natural drum performance out of the computer, basically. Um, nice. And then basically once I have that done, I'll just layer everything else on top of it. I usually... Um, so usually I'll do... I'll write the song on acoustic guitar or piano, which, whichever one. And then I will just record a very basic, you know, to a metronome, playing through the form of the song. And then I'll use that to put the drum pattern on and get that mapped out. And once the drum pattern's there, I'll just start, you know, I start with bass guitar, I layer that on... And once I've got bass and drums, I can just totally get rid of that first kind of song map recording that I did mm-hmm. um, and start building from there. So yeah, it it's usually ends up just becoming a, okay, what does this need now? If it was written around like a specific guitar lick, I'll, you know, get that in there. And then, yeah, just kind of keep listening to it and see what I feel like it needs to to make the choruses bigger than the rest of it, you know, make sure the dynamics still work, which uh, with program drums, that was a big thing that, that took a while to get used to working with is to get a, a, not just a, a solid performance out of that (laughs) performance, I'm using air quotes, you can't see it, Um, (laughs) but yeah, to, to also make it dynamic, you know, make, make sure it's, it's quiet where it needs to be quiet and loud where it needs to be loud. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like a person doing that. And then because I'm playing all the instruments on top of that, uh, make sure that I try to match that and exaggerate it even so it, it comes through and in the rest of the the arrangement. Um, Nice. And then I, I usually hire my friend, uh, Dan Destiny, who's based in Los Angeles. I hire him to mix. Um, and also uh, Mark Raines, also based in Los Angeles. I know I'm on the Keep It, Keep it Local, Maine podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> talking about LA no, we're engineers. We're expanding to Los Angeles in <laughs> okay. the, yeah. 2021.
0: Because the world doesn't make sense anymore. So that's, we, we figure we're just going <laughs> to yeah. shoot for that. Well, <laughs> I,
2: I have been based out of LA for the
0: past eight years. So th- these are connections I made there. Um, totally. I am back in Maine now, obviously
1: nice <laughs>
0: so when you uh, when you go to write a song and this is actually really cool i i think is uh, on uh, on this latest ep and you had mentioned on on some previous eps as well you put the demo version of the song mm-hmm. uh, as as kind of an ad- additional tracks which i i think is really cool because i'm always interested in how songs started you know what what kind of comes first the chicken and the egg and then how things progress so i th- i think it's really cool how on must be on my way mm-hmm. listen to the, the demo version of that it's just guitar and and there's no the lyrics are just you kind of humming the melody mm-hmm. which I thought was so cool because I've never been I've I, that I'm like then okay how do you then translate that was there no was there no kind of lyrical hook first or was it just hey I think I've got something but I'm just gonna hum until I get what I really want um so yeah that one was definitely a, I'm gonna hum until I get what I want
2: um <laughs> It, it it's yeah it, it, the the process is always a little bit different because I feel like a lot of times like I have a just a page of notes on my phone where like if I hear a phrase or something pops into my head mm-hmm. uh, I'll just type it down on that thing and sometimes I'll go through and read it and be like why did I think that was a good idea that's really stupid <laughs> uh, but every now and then i'll I'll find a phrase or a fresh one I'll just pop into my head while I'll be like oh I, I can make that into a song but must be on my way was started with just with nothing I think I was just tinkering on the guitar one day and and came across something, I was like, oh, that's, that sounds nice. Um, and then I just started singing a melody to it. And yeah, that was just a hit record on the, the voice memo recorder just to make sure I had it. But the melody was catchy enough that, you know, as I'm walking around and doing other stuff, it's still in my head. And all of a sudden, those, you know, those just blah, blah syllables that I was using when I capture the idea start kind of shaping themselves into words. And mm-hmm. then once I have like a basic idea of, you know, what it is, like, the rest of the song kind of comes together and I find I usually write sort of chronologically. Um, I very rarely need to go in and reorder like my verses. Usually it's like, if it's a story, I'm pretty good at getting the beginning, middle, and end in there and, mm-hmm. uh, without having to go. And I, I do go back and change out, you know, certain lyrics here and there. And sometimes I do it not even on, on, you know, intentionally, sometimes I'll record a song. Like when I get to, to doing the final vocal, I'll sing through it and then I'll go back and look at my lyric sheet and be like, huh, what I just sang was not even what was on the lyric sheet. Like, I don't even know where that came from, <laughs> but if it came naturally, it must be the right thing.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. You see you, someone will change a, they'll, they'll, they'll do a, a wrong lyric or something to someone else's song that they didn't write. And they're like, Oh, what do they know? They just wrote it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do. That's my own songs. So. <laughs> <laughs> you get in less trouble that way.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, um, Zach what and I I mean this is this is the question of the year. Uh what is the biggest challenge kind of you that you face right now as a mu- as a musician?
2: Um uncertainty. I I mean I, the whole life as a musician is sort of built <laughs> around uncertainty. Yeah. Mm. Um but at least there's like the the week to week or day to day stuff. Like in the past it was like okay, I'm looking at my calendar. I've got a month full of gigs. I'll get through those and hopefully next month I'll have another month full of gigs. Right. Um, But now it's, yeah, without gigs even being an option. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I'm just looking at an empty calendar and uh, freaking out a little bit about, you know, as I said, like releasing music once it's streaming on Spotify or wherever, Apple Music, whatever, people are are streaming it and that's great, but that only generates a fraction of a a penny per stream. Right. So it's not like I'm, you know paying bills or or putting savings away from my my (laughs) earnings from streaming music right Mm. um you know and it used to be you know you you print up the physical copies you go play the show hopefully you get a decent guarantee or a good you know door take from the show Mm -hmm. and hopefully people like it and even if they don't listen to your cds they'll just buy a cd because you know i mean Mm -hmm. people might buy the cd just to support you and go home and still listen to it on spotify but they'll feel good that they put ten dollars in the pocket of the artist while they were at the show Mm -hmm. um You know, and with uh, vinyl coming back, I've got three albums pressed on vinyl and that's great too. Sometimes, uh, you know, I'll play a show and I'll sell a handful of records and I'll walk away feeling pretty good about that. But like, that's not an option anymore. Right. So that's kind of scary. And, you know, they are all like, I've been doing the live stream shows and people tend to be very generous uh, tipping, which Mm -hmm. is excellent. And people do buy stuff, which is also excellent. Um, That's awesome. But I also feel like I can't, you know, normally if, you, if you're on tour or you're, whatever, you can you can play a different, di- play to a different audience every night, play around and and reach different people. And mm-hmm. you know, technically with the internet, you can do that as well. But you know, when you're playing through Facebook or Instagram, you tend to play to the same same audience,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, just because they're the people that are already invested and they get the notifications when you're going live and all that. And so, if you do it too often, it's like, you know, diminishing returns. Yeah. Right. Um, so also it turns out it's terrifying <laughs> uh, it's weird that I, I feel like I can comfortably stand on stage you know in front of 10 people or a thousand people and be completely mm-hmm. comfortable but as soon as I hit go live on my camera in my room by myself I'm like my heart starts beating my mind starts racing
0: like, I'm just like what am I doing <laughs> Is, do you think it's because there's no immediate feedback you're kind of wondering what people are doing or thinking it is like, yeah. I mean, I I feel like generally,
2: you know, you when you're rehearsing for a show, obviously you put all of your 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 thought process and preparation into the preparation, mm-hmm. and then when you're actually performing, you sort of like let loose in the moment and you react to what's happening in the room, mm-hmm. and you know sometimes you're thinking about something completely different. You know, you might be looking at the people in the front, like you're like oh that guy's dancing funny, or, oh that's a cool T-shirt he's wearing, or, oh that girl's <laughs> cute, but and you're not even thinking about the songs. You're just like in the moment and it's great you know Mm -hmm. but i find when i'm alone in the room doing the the live streams my brain still goes to that that space where i'm thinking about other things which is weird because it's the same room that I was practicing in <laughs> and was able to stay focused when I was practicing. But as soon as I go live, I'm like, I'm thinking about what people, you know, on the other yeah. side of the camera might look like or might be doing or thinking, and yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, where am I in the song? What are, what are the next words? And I freak out. You know, there's not like that reassuring <laughs> sense of oh, they're you know, you're not getting that energy back from the crowd that you would normally get where right. you're like, oh, I'm doing a good job because they're. You know, they're yeah. dancing and clapping and singing along. It's
0: just like, oh, no, where am I? What am I singing? Like, <laughs> Yeah, No,
1: that makes sense. I mean, I can see that. that totally oh, yeah.
0: I mean, I because th- then if you if you see that something isn't working, because mm-hmm. I think, you know, musicians or just in general, people can think, oh, no, everything is fine until you see someone else's reactions like, oh, no, it isn't fine. <laughs> yeah, I better okay. I better change up what I'm doing. Yeah. And you can kind of adjust, I, I imagine, but if you don't have any feedback aside from, oh, I just got a like, or, or someone commented LOL, or well, what are you laughing at? What's, what's <laughs> yes. so funny? Is it, is it, is it me? I'm all self-conscious. Do I have something on my shirt? What's going yeah. on? Here? Did I remember to trim my nose hair? Oh, no. Oh, I'm, I'm, And I'm sitting like three inches away from my monitor. Oh, no. That looks like a redwood sticking out of my nose. No.
2: <laughs> There's also, you know, you're, you're very exposed Uh, because there's no, you know, uh, if people are listening over their television or they're listening through headphones or whatever, it's not like they're at a club where there's, you know, Mm. people murmuring around them and bar glasses clinking and stuff like that. It's just your music completely exposed. Um, And then there's no, during those like empty spaces where you'd normally, you know, you finish a song and there's applause and you take a second to touch up the tuning on the guitar real quick or, you know take a sip of your water or something like that it's like that space is no longer being filled by the audience it's just Mm -hmm. empty and so I feel awkward even like reaching to like drink water (laughs) it's like like people are just looking at me there's no sound they're probably hearing me gurgle
0: and slurp (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah I mean ultimately the the speakers that most people are listening to there aren't the best so the sound quality isn't great but then it's going to pick up every mouth noise possible Mm -hmm. and everything else Yeah. So uh, now that we're talking about live music a little bit, uh, well, as much as we can these days, what are some of your favorite main related music memories? Oh, man. Um, So
2: as you mentioned, uh, I do that podcast with Spencer Albee. And Mm -hmm. uh, Spencer and I used to play together in a band called As Fast As. Mm -hmm. And uh, prior to that, we were called Rocktopus.
0: (laughs) I I believe I, I actually think I might still have that CD somewhere around here. Uh, I th- oh. I think it's good. I haven't listened to it in a while, <laughs> but,
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I think we we're a good band. You know, we're we're still uh, yeah, find, finding our. I guess we're always finding our way in a lot of <laughs> a lot of different senses. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We we I think we had we had a good a very good group, uh, especially as as fast as it's yeah. That whole you know, I was twenty one when I started playing with Rocktopus or I turned 21 during that time. So, and, you know, Spencer was kind of coming off the back of uh, having been in Rustic Overtones and and that stuff. And uh, so he already had a lot of local connections to get, you know, to help expedite getting our songs on the radio and getting press coverage and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, people really enjoyed the music. So we built a following, a local following pretty quickly. And, you know, it really felt like that, that trajectory that you see in, like, the the movies about a band that mm. go from like zero to you know the biggest band in the world uh i mean obviously we only went to a bigger band in portland maine not the biggest <laughs> band in the world but it's still it, that whole time period was really special you know doing like old port fests and you know playing the, the cyy patio and uh stuff like that and just really feeling like, feeling like you know, feeling like we we had a chance to be like the Beatles of Portland for a second or something. <laughs> uh,
1: that's yeah. awesome.
2: It all comes back to the Beatles. Yeah, always, always. I mean, that's you know, that's still. I, I think my my dreams are a touch more realistic now, as far as like, okay, uh, no band will ever be like the
0: Beatles. <laughs> now you're just trying to be in Wings. Yes, not well. <laughs> I mean, oh you, you, wait, I'm sorry. That's that's Spencer, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs>
2: I mean, even that's kind of, Wings were like the first arena rock band. Even that's like a stretch now these days.
0: That is true. Now that uh, I think about that, I, I'm it, not, and I'm not trying to shortchange Wings in any way for any Wings fans out there. Yeah. <laughs>
2: no, I feel like, yeah, I used to want to be in the Beatles. You know, I wanted to be in the band that was the best band mm-hmm. that had the, the sold the most records and played to the biggest audiences. And obviously I'd still like that, but I understand that that is probably not a realistic goal in this, uh, time in you know time of the music business and also just me being me at this age and all that (laughs) uh so my my new goal is uh i i look at somebody like elvis costello and i'm like that would be cool to just be Mm. a guy that has a solid fan base writes great songs is respected as a songwriter and a lyricist you know can can go to a town with a band or solo and play to a theater you know of Five hundred to two thousand people in any town in across the world. Um, mm-hmm. That sounds pretty good to me. Like I don't need yeah. to play Shea Stadium if I can go to a city and play. You know, if I can go to any city in the U.S. and play to like two hundred people, I would be, I would be thrilled. Nice.
0: Know? Yeah. yeah awesome. If you could, like, quick advice, what what quick advice would you give to young musicians? The first thing would be, uh, yeah,
2: don't don't get into music to get rich. <laughs> <laughs> that that was solid yeah that that was never a thing i mean even <laughs> even in the 80s when you were seeing you know the hair metal bands driving around and you know in limo, limousines and stuff like that it was like that was all a manufactured image there was lots of money being generated but they weren't making it
1: right yeah.
0: um, and now and now they're all driving the limousines for other people yes exactly <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. with no hair <laughs> yeah but, i mean they're they probably wigs even then on a
2: lot of, in a lot of cases <laughs> um but beyond that, is if you are going to get into it, uh, take take it seriously and you mm-hmm. know practice uh, and study and study other people. I think listen to as much music as possible, absorb as many different influences as you can,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, yeah, and learn as much about music. Put as much time into rehearsing your instrument and take it seriously. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Right great. on. So, how would you? At this, you know, at this time, or just in general, how do you define success in music or in life?
2: Um, that's a tough question because I feel like, uh, I mean, probably in most professions, but definitely in music, even when you're at the top of your game, you don't think you're successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I I watched a, a documentary with uh, about you two called From the Sky Down about uh, how they made their Octung Baby record. But mm. it starts out with them at the end of the Joshua Tree tour. And as you know, the Joshua Tree was, I think, the second biggest selling record the year it came out. Um, mm. That tour was enormous. But so basically, the documentary starts out, they're playing in this arena. It's packed, you know, everybody's singing along. The balconies are shaking, or rafters are shaking. And then it follows the band backstage after the show. And they're like, oh, we blew it. You know, if only we'd hit this, <laughs> if only we'd done this. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow, you too wow. at the very top. Still, just okay. has the same reaction after a show as I had after playing yeah. in front of 10 people at the Big Easy or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I've, I think we're we're never actually in touch with what success is because it always mm-hmm. seems like it's in front of us. Uh, I mm-hmm. know my friend, uh, John Nolan, who co produced a couple of my records, um, he uh, has released a couple of great solo records and also played in a band called Sezuzu that was one of the bigger bands out of the Seacoast area for a while. Mm hmm. And I've had that talk with him before. I remember when we were working on the records that we did together, it was like, oh, if only I could do this, or only if I could reach this level, like, if only I could do this. And he was like, you're already successful. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, you're, you're already playing shows. You're already releasing records that mm-hmm. people are into. You're like, you're working as a full-time musician. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, you know what? You know, you can ask for more, but you're doing more than than so many other people are doing. Right. So, yeah, I, I think it's a matter of, yeah, perspective. Um mm-hmm. Cause yeah, I never feel like I'm as sex as successful as I want to be, and I'm I'm
0: sure, right. uh, and you two didn't either. <laughs> so, yeah, right. I mean, and just and just as how big you two was when they did that, uh, when they did Rattle and Hum, mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen got cut out of that documentary. Yeah, like, I mean that's that's how big they were that they were like, nah, we don't need to have Springsteen in this. Like, really, yeah. <laughs> really, huh. well, you guys are doing pretty good like, for yourselves, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so I guess my, my another question I have is, uh, who or what inspires you? Mm. That's a good question. Uh, I mean, I'm constantly, especially these
2: days that I've got more time, I'm constantly listening to music.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I'm always hearing, I mean, I've been building my vinyl collection even bigger than it was really since March, <laughs> because I have time uh, to sit around and listen to it. Good and, man. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've got the, the, the stereo set up now where I can actually just sit and relax and the speakers are spread out. Um, And so I'm hearing things in music that production tricks and stuff like that, like certain things where I'm like, oh, look at that. There's a piano panned right and a piano panned left and they're doing two different things. I never noticed that when I was listening to it, Hmm. you know, on a different, when I was driving or listening to it on even headphones sometimes didn't pick up on that. So that just like hearing, hearing old records and picking up production tricks has been really inspiring now, especially now that I know I'm probably condemned to recording records in the basement for <laughs> for a while it's nice to, to pick up on new uh, new production tricks Nice, true. Um, but you know a lot of people that that I work with like like we had Steve Drown on our podcast last week and mm-hmm. Steve has been one of those guys that when I first started recording with Rocktopus he was the engineer and producer on those sessions and um, he has always been one of those guys that if I have a question about a band like you know who played guitar on that Record by this artist that came out in 1975, you know, he'll know that answer. But also, if I'm like, how do I get that guitar tone that's on this song on this thing? And I'll be like, oh, they, you know, they played this guitar through that amp. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So he's, yeah, he's always been one of those guys. And, you know, John Wyman, also another local Mm -hmm. engineer producer, Mm -hmm. um, is always great with an answer to a question like that. And, uh, he's actually also been a guest on our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still constantly learning from Spencer every time. You know, I talk to him more than anybody else these days, and he's always dropping in, you know knowledge on me that I'm like, oh, I did not know that. <laughs> you know? That's so cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, there's just, yeah a lot of people like that that and and all the musicians that I get to play with or got to play with, especially you know when I was based out of LA, I was doing a lot of for hire stuff. I was doing a lot of bass player for hire. Um, huh. and was playing with all kinds of musicians and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just getting to pick people's brains and see people's approach to their instruments and kind of make mental notes and go home and try to
0: copy what they were doing. <laughs> nice. So nice. W- one, w- this, okay. So this, I'm going to go off script for just one second. Cause I've, I've got the ambush <laughs> question. This, this has to be part of every, every interview where you throw out the thing no one's expecting. Mm-hmm. I, I know that the answer to this question already if I were to ask you Beatles or Beach Boys, I already know what the answer would be, but would you even pause before answering Beatles or would you would it be immediate? Um, I would pause,
2: but it would be a very, very, very brief pause. Um, <laughs> okay because <laughs> yeah, I mean the the Beach Boys I love almost as much as the Beatles, but when I think of the genius of Brian Wilson, i I think of him still as the American Paul McCartney. <laughs> Which you know, I guess that means there's only one Paul McCartney. But then in yeah. that band, there was also a John Lennon, George Harrison, Ringo Starr. That is true. Yeah,
0: that's and cool. and Ringo Ringo needs to get a little bit more love. That's that's just my that's my one I feel like moment. he's starting
2: to get it a lot more these days. I, I think there's a lot of a lot of drummers that directly reference him all the time. Um, you know, Dave Grohl is always talking about him, and they did that mm. uh, Rolling Stone article a while back where they interviewed each other, which is really inter- interesting. Uh, Ringo and Grohl. And also, like the in two thousand nine, when the Beatles catalog was remastered, which I think are the definitive versions of the the Beatles albums right now, they really brought the the drums to life, and without having to do any remixing or anything, just through the master, um, mm-hmm. you know, you can mm-hmm. hear the kick patterns more clearly and hear how he interlocks with the bass. And he's just got impeccable time and a really unique feel. His approach to to drum fills is like nobody else's, mm-hmm. and his uh, his appreciation for songcraft, you know, he he is really like the songwriter's drummer the way that he so many of his drum patterns are definitive parts of the songs that he plays on Um, like you can't play ticket to ride without doing that drum beat you can't play come together without doing that drum beat Um, Mm. you know they they are as much a part of the song as the guitar line is Mm -hmm. which I think he's probably one of the only drummers where you could mute all of the instruments on a Beatles song except for the drums and still be able to pinpoint exactly what song it is Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think you can say that for a lot of drummers
0: yeah, definitely not for, uh, probably not for poor Dennis Wilson either. So we'll we'll give Ringo and the Beatles
2: the edge. <laughs> Although I think Dennis was an underrated drummer too, but you're right. I mean, you couldn't solo any of the, the songs he played on, or not any of them. I'm sure there's some, but not as yeah. many. And also definitely. Dennis, like, you know, uh, I think in some of the early 70s records uh, when he was abusing substances, and at one point I think he punched a wall and broke his hand so he couldn't even play drums on a few of the records <laughs> they did. And then, of course, like the, the Pet Sound stuff. And like that era there, I think starting with Beach Boys today, um, Brian stayed behind and produced those records with the Wrecking Crew while the Beach Boys were touring. So there's like, you know, Dennis plays on all the early records. Then there's like Hal Blaine plays on those Wrecking Crew recordings. It's like a handful of records. Then early 70s, I like think Blondie, uh, sorry, not Blondie Chaplin, Ricky Fatar plays drums on a few of them. And then Dennis was back playing drums up until he passed away tragically. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I always like to kind of wrap it up with this. We want to bring it back home. Um, what would you say is kind of one of your favorite things about Maine? If you had to say, you know, what 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 is it about Maine that, that you love?
2: I, I love the sense of community. Mm. Um, I always feel like, you know, even though I moved away for almost eight years, I would always make sure that I came back here um, for the month of December and always came back for a couple weeks in the summertime. And... I always felt like I could walk right back in as if I never left, you know, just everybody welcomed me with opened arms and, you know, all my friends were ready to start laughing at the same jokes, you know? (laughs) Mm So that's, that's been really uh, important. I think is just the, that sense of community, which also makes me really sad now that, uh, you know, my community anyway has been built around music venues Mm -hmm. and those are all closed now. And who knows if they will get to open again, if this, continues Mm -hmm. and then you know beyond that uh just in general like i I love the change of the seasons which obviously Mm -hmm. we don't really get in los angeles Mm -hmm. um so that's been one great thing about being home right now is actually enjoying enjoying the fall for the first time in a long time and actually seeing the leaves change
0: and uh you know the cool crisp autumn air
1: yes, <laughs> nice. yes
2: well
0: thank you very much yes. zach we really appreciate you taking time out of your day and then joining yes. us and talking about music uh be sure that you follow the the links in the show notes to all of zach's music and uh his spot his podcast as well and uh stream his albums when you sleep yes and just put those on repeat <laughs> and then also make sure that you download them as well and uh and, and make sure all all you know those nickels and dimes that, that go make sure they all go to zach okay don't don't be going don't don't rip that stuff off a torrent site go ahead and download it and, and make sure that yes. money gets to zach and support Absolutely. musicians uh yeah thank you again thank this you is a again, lot zach. of fun thank yes. you so much for having me I, I appreciate it This has been fun i hope i didn't bore you guys too much but oh no it was <laughs> oh,
1: fantastic no, this no. was good i feel like i learned quite a bit actually oh, uh, me so too
0: good. me too so you have yourself a, a fantastic rest of your day yes. thank you you as well i appreciate it all right it.